It was the late Prime Minister Winston Churchill that's credited with saying, you make a living by what you get, but you make a life by what you give. This phrase has been taken by many people over the years and multiplied into lectures and books and all kinds of things. Dr. Richard Gutterman, who teaches both medicine and philanthropy at Indiana University, took this idea and wrote a book entitled, We Make a Life by What We Give. And philanthropy and medicine is kind of an interesting uh, combination of things, I would think, to, to teach. And yet his central thesis of his book is this, that philanthropy defies measurement. And his analogy is medical. He says, in medicine, pulse rate, blood pressure, and temperature are easy to measure, but they do not tell the whole story of human health. Likewise, in philanthropy, dollars do not tell the whole story of human giving. Our theme here at West Main this year is love more and give more. And when elders chose this theme, they certainly had in mind, when we've talked already about loving to a great degree from 1 Corinthians 13 in the first part of the year. But I think there was a concern, and we discussed in the meeting, that no one think that give more was automatically talking about the collection, that we were automatically talking about money. And we weren't. We had in mind, and they had in mind, something much more than the idea of just dollars and cents. And I think Dr. Gunnerman's point in his book is well taken, that in philanthropy, dollars don't tell the whole story of human giving. There are a lot of ways in which we can give. And so I want us to take a little time, not every Sunday, I'm not going to do another nine lesson series, but I want us to think about giving, and I want us to think about the idea of what it means to give more. And this morning, I want to talk about how giving more means serving more. So we're not going to talk about dollars this morning, but we're going to talk about giving in terms of serving. Let me join with Tim in welcoming each one this morning. We have a number of guests with us today, and we are certainly glad for your presence if you're from the community and you're looking for a church home, we'd love to have you come back and love to talk to you about being a part of the family here. If you're traveling and you've taken time to stop to worship with us, we certainly thank you for that, and we commend you for that, and we're glad that you have chosen our church family. My wife whispered to me before I got up, she says we have some folks from Indiana this morning. So there they are. Well, I look forward to meeting you folks. That's my home state. And so any time I get a chance to quote someone from Indiana University, I always want to do that and recognize people from the great state of Indiana. So glad to have you folks with us today, as well as all the other guests that may be visiting with us today. Our text this morning is Galatians, the fifth chapter. If you'd like to turn there, I'm just going to read two or three verses from Galatians chapter 5. The real point of this is in verse 13. But let me read verses 13 through 15 in Galatians 5. He says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware, lest you be consumed of one another. And so he says in verse 13, through love to serve one another. Let's think a little bit about this idea of service. 
The idea of service relates to the idea of a servant or a slave. And the word, whether it's translated servant or service or slave or serve, all comes from the same Greek word, and it speaks to one who is a slave or one who is a bondsman. This may be involuntary or it may be voluntary. And the word as it's used in the Bible may be either used literally as a literal servant or a metaphor as being figuratively a slave or a bond servant. But by definition, the word simply refers to one who yields or submits to the will of another. The word is used in Ephesians 5, 5 and 6, talking about a slave that was literally owned by a master. And oftentimes, these were people that were captured as Rome uh, took over various various cultures and various countries and peoples, and those people would come in as slaves. They would literally be owned by other people. And the word is used that way in Ephesians. Actually, it's Ephesians uh, 6, 5 and 6, I think, is the right passage on that. But then Paul uses the same word in talking about being a servant of Christ. And the idea is an indentured servant, a bond servant, as it relates to his master, that Jesus was his master, that I am owned by the Lord. Or in Romans 6, verses 16 through 19, he talks about being a slave of righteousness, that I am a servant or I'm, in, I'm, a, I'm enslaved to the idea of righteousness. Or the idea of being a servant of the gospel in 1 Corinthians 9 or verse 19, that I am serving, I am a servant, I am a slave to the gospel of Christ. And then in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 5, he speaks here of the servant of the brethren, serving the needs of the brethren. And so we're going to talk this morning about the idea of serving or service, of being a servant, and that giving more means serving more. Now, we want to get off on the right track with this and understand who it is that we're talking to. Because sometimes we're not careful we hear a sermon like this, and we forget who the application is to. I'm reminded of the story of the little girl, we don't want to be like her, that was in the Sunday school class, and it was a kindergarten class, and the teacher was teaching on the golden rule and the importance of helping other people. And so she went to Luke 10, the parable of the Good Samaritan, and she told the story of the Good Samaritan, and she finished the story. She said, remember, children, we are here to serve others. And the little girl raised her hand, and she said, teacher, what are the others here for? Well, a lot of times we look at it that way, and we forget we're the ones that are served. And so this lesson is to each one of us. It's not to the others, like, what are they doing for me? And so if we look at a lesson like this, and we start evaluating the elders and the deacons and the preacher and our brothers and sisters and think about, well, I don't see people doing that. No, I'm not talking to them. I'm talking to you. All right? Put your name on this sermon. Put your name on this idea of being a servant. Now, let's go back to this text and just briefly look at this a little bit and to think about the motive for service. And I think that there are three things that are, if not directly stated, certainly implied in this text that is not on the basis of legalism. It's not a bondage to the law. If you go back to chapter in chapter 5 to verse 1, he said, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty 
but which Christ has made us free and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. The Jews and Paul's they were clinging to the old law. They were clinging to the rites and to the rituals and the rules that were bound with that were they were binding up based upon the law with little regard to their relationship with God or to their fellow man. In fact, the Pharisees were notorious for being very legalistic and binding every jot and tittle, so to speak, from the old law and missing the greater motivation for even what the law itself was about. And so certainly he's telling these Christians, you're not only not bound by the law, but our motive in Christian service is not legalistic. And so if I apply that today and I think about my service today, that we go tonight to a, to a member care group, or we write a note to someone, or we visit the sick, or we, we take food to someone, that ought not to be done out of mere duty. That ought not to be done out of legalistically following a list of do's and don'ts, and, and I better do that. that. That's not the reason why that we serve other people. We're not in bondage to the law in that sense. Nor is a motive for service a license that puts us in bondage to the flesh. Some had gone to the other extreme, we read in verse 13. And they had given license to the flesh. Our freedom in Christ does not mean that we can just live any way we want to live or do anything we want to do or allow our impulses to direct us in any kind of a direction. Warren Wiersbe, in his commentary on this, said we are prone to extremes. He writes, one believer interprets liberty as license and thinks he can do whatever he wants to do. Another believer, seeing this error, goes to the opposite extreme and imposes law on everybody. Somewhere between license on one hand and legalism on the other hand is true Christian liberty. Well, I think he was on the right track with that. And the context of this shows the problem that arose out of this, this spirit and this attitude, this carnal attitude of being a bondage to the flesh, the problem that arose out of that was fighting. It was division. It was devouring the body of Christ. And so serving the Lord is certainly not about being divisive. It is not about being contentious. It is not being a quarrelsome person. It's not trying to bind my opinions upon other people. That's not what service is to be about. Our motive for service, he says, ought to be love. That I'm in bondage to others. That through love I seek to serve one another. And so it's not a service of compulsion, nor a service of self-gratification, but a service that genuinely flows out of my love and care and concern and compassion for my brother in Christ and for my fellow man. It is a love that is in their best interest, that is concerned about their needs. It is love that is both the motivation and the means which we meet the needs of our brothers and sisters in Christ. As I mentioned earlier, we had nine lessons from 1 Corinthians 13. Someone said, I've never heard a nine-lesson series. Well, now you have, okay? We had nine lessons on 1 Corinthians 13. And I probably didn't exhaust all the things you could say about love in those nine lessons. But love says, I care about you. I feel you're hurt. I understand your need. I want to help. And so love is the motive. And it may be serving people physically or maybe emotionally or spiritually. 
I have a friend that's a gospel preacher. Some of you may know him. His name's Philip Mullins. He preaches at the Dulles Church in the Washington, D.C. area. And he wrote an article one time, and there was one line in this article that really caught my attention. I've saved it. And Philip said this, We communicate better with deeds than with talk. Love is never sweeter than with expressed with service. And isn't that true? Love is never sweeter than when expressed with service. And so the motivation for all of our ministry, for all of our service, for those in the body of Christ and outside the body of Christ individually should be love. Through love, serve one another. In fact, he said, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Kind of reminds you of Jesus' retort to the attorney that asked the greatest commandment in Matthew 22. And he said, first, as I love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And then the second is likened to it to love your neighbor as yourself. That's the basis. That's the motivation. That's the foundation of service. Now, our model, of course, then is Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 20, Verses 27 and 8, Jesus says, Whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Paul put it this way in Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant, there we are again, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross." Just briefly consider with me three points from this passage, uh, from actually both of these passages that really speak to Jesus being our model for service. One, we see the submissive attitude of Jesus. Jesus was not a self-exalting person, but a self-abasing person. And I suggest that you can't be full of yourself and be a loving servant at the same time. William Barclay said that selfishness in the end, does not exalt a man, it destroys him. And I think that's exactly right. Jesus was submissive. He was submissive to the will of his Father, and he was submissive as a humble servant, and he came to serve us. Which leads to the second point, that Jesus was selfless. That Jesus was selfless in everything that he did. Not my will, but your will be done. And service begins not only with submission, but a selfless attitude. It's not about me. It's about other people. And then third, it's sacrificial. Jesus paid the price. Regardless of the cost, he paid the ultimate sacrifice with his life. Which reminds us that service costs something. It costs something. It costs Jesus everything. But service costs something. It may cost us time. It may cost us effort and energy. It may even cost us money on occasion. But we give. And when we give, we are submissive, we are selfless, and we are sacrificial. Jesus is our great example. We studied in our Wednesday night class, and if you're here for that class, you know, we talk from John 13 about the example of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And when he did that, and he did that as a visual aid to them. Other 
texts don't tell us in John. John doesn't tell us, but other texts tell us that prior to that, Matthew tells us, that the disciples had gotten an argument over who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Now, you think about this on the eve of Jesus being betrayed and delivered up to be tried and crucified, that they're arguing over who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And so they go to eat this supper together, and it should have been the, uh, was the custom, it should have been taken care of by somebody, there should have been a slave that had washed feet. That, that was the job of a slave. Now, wouldn't you like to have that job, to wash everybody's feet? But there, no one did that. Peter, James, John, no, no, no one prepared for that. Jesus didn't say a word about it. They ate the supper, and so Jesus taught them a lesson. And he got up and he washed everybody's feet. Now, he wasn't teaching a lesson that we come together and worship, we ought to have a foot washing service. That's not what that's about. But it was a lesson on ministry. It was a lesson on service. It was a lesson on humility. It was a lesson on giving. And that when we give, when we serve, when we humble ourselves, we're like Jesus. When I was working on this lesson, I remembered a poem that an 11-year-old girl by the name of Summer Waters had written, and you may have heard it before. It was pretty insightful, I think, for an 11-year-old girl. She wrote this. She said, I saw Jesus last week. He was wearing blue jeans and an old shirt. He was up at the church building. He was alone and working hard. And for just a minute, he looked like one of her members. But he was Jesus, I could tell by his smile. I saw Jesus last Sunday. He was teaching a Bible class. He didn't talk real loud or use big words. And for a minute, he looked just like my Bible teacher. But it was Jesus. I could tell by his loving voice. I saw Jesus yesterday. He was at the hospital visiting a friend who was sick. And they prayed together. And for a minute, he looked just like Brother Jones. But it was Jesus. I could tell by the tear in his eye. I saw Jesus this morning. He was in my kitchen making breakfast and fixing me a special lunch. And for a minute, he looked just like my mom. But it was Jesus. I could feel the love from his heart. I see Jesus everywhere, taking food to the sick, being friendly to the newcomer. And just for a minute, I think he's someone I know, but it's always Jesus. I can tell by the way that he serves. This metaphor that this little girl used is certainly an appropriate and scriptural one, isn't it? That we are to be like Jesus. He's our model for service as we go about doing good. Our mission, in fact, revolves around service, it not? Part of our mission, the Bible states, is to serve. We are, we are created to serve. In Ephesians 2 and verse 10, Paul says, For he, we're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. We are created for good works, that good deeds are the service that we engage in and we fulfill God's mission. He's the re- we're, that's the reason why he placed us here. One writer put it this way. He said, you're put here to make a contribution. You weren't created to consume resources, to eat and breathe and take up space. God designed you to make a difference with your life. You were created to add add to life on earth, not take away from it. God wants you to give something back. And indeed, he does. We are created for good works. 
And we are called to serve. That's our mission. God has called us that we might serve. In 2 Timothy 1 and verse 9, he said he has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our own works, but according to his purpose. Now, if you're taking notes on this, or I may have this verse in the handout. Do I have that in the sermon notes? I have two things. I have in my notes, Titus 1.9. I have on the PowerPoint, 2 Timothy 1.9. One has got to be wrong. So you can figure out which one it is, but I think it's one of them, okay? But I know that verse is there. He has called us, and he has called us with a holy calling, and he has called us not according to our works, but he's called us according to his purpose. What's his purpose? Works, service, ministry. And then back to our text in Galatians 5.13, we have been called to serve one another. We have. That's a part of what our mission here on earth is all about and to serve one another through love. And then if that's not enough, we're commanded to serve. There's no question about it. Throughout the Bible, we're taught that we are to serve. We are commanded to serve. The Hebrew writer said, do not forget to do good and to share. For with such sacrifices, God is well Please. Christian service, ladies and gentlemen, is not something that is an option. It is not something that is tacked into our schedules if we have time. It's the heart of the Christian life. Jesus came to serve and to give. And those two verbs, serve and give, should define our life on earth. You know, Christian maturity is never any end just within itself. We grow in order that we might give. It's not enough to keep learning more. We're called upon to do more. In fact, if we get so involved in learning that we're not doing and we're not serving, that can lead to spiritual stagnation and maybe even a spiritual depression. That's, that's not what God wants. We're not, to, we're not to be reservoirs of just knowledge. Yes, knowledge is important. We've got to, we've got to have that as a basis to know what we're to do, but just to accumulate the knowledge and not put it into practice and not serve is to miss the whole point. A 19th century minister by the name of Stephen Grellett said, I shall pass through this world but once, any good, therefore, that I can do and any kindness that I can show to any human being, let me do it now. Let me not defer or neglect it, for I shall not pass this way again. When we love more, we give more. Let's look for ways to give, to serve, to minister whether it's member care groups or teaching a class or volunteering with Vacation Bible School or signing up to take a meal to someone or a note that is written or a text that is sent or a phone call that is made, or maybe it's just seeing someone that looks a little forlorn that we come up and give them a hug, a pat on the back, and a word of encouragement. And in that small way, we serve others. You know, none of us can do great things necessarily but all of us can do small things with great love all of us can do that and then i like the saying that says i can do things you cannot and you can do things that i cannot 
together we can do great things. Isn't that the great thing about the church family? That why God has put us in a family like this? That all of these little things, seemingly small or insignificant, we may think, add up to some great things to make a big difference. And so don't sell yourself short. Don't think that what it is you do is unimportant. But it, it all adds to the whole. It makes a difference in the church family. And so when we think about love more and give more, we begin with the idea of service. And when we really do love more, I think it just naturally follows. We will just give more. May God bless us each to that end. We close our service this morning with a song of invitation and encouragement. And it may be that you're not a Christian this morning. And while we haven't addressed the issue of what it takes to become a part of the family of God, very succinctly the Bible tells us this, that we have to be born of water and the Spirit, that we have to heed the call of the Spirit through the Word of God. And what the Word of God tells us is to believe on Jesus all of our heart, to repent of our sins, to confess our allegiance to Christ, and then we're born of water as we're immersed in the waters of baptism, where God there takes the blood that Jesus shed on the cross and applies it to our sin-stained soul. And now we're cleansed and whole again. And we can arise therefrom and walk in newness of life and to put on the new person in Christ and be a, be a new creature in Christ. And we can begin to serve like Christ and be a part of the family of Christ. If you haven't done that, we sure would encourage you to do it, and it wouldn't be a better time than now to begin that trek. If you've wandered away from that formal obligation and pledge that you made and you need to come back home and make your life right with God, why don't you do that? Let us lift you in prayer. Let us embrace you, not only physically but spiritually and emotionally, and help you as you further walk with the Lord in days to come. Maybe you're just convicted by the things we've talked about this morning, and you don't feel a need to publicly come forward and confess a wrong, but you say, you know, I just, I haven't been doing what I ought to do. You know what I say? Do what you ought to do. Start serving. Love and serve and give and be what God would have you to be. We can help you, though. Would you come as we stand and while we sing?